0: Support for this podcast comes from Avature, the AI-powered total talent platform trusted by 110 of the Fortune 500. From initial candidate engagement through onboarding, talent mobility and performance management, Avature enables organisations to meet their unique needs while delighting and engaging all stakeholders. Just listen to what Nilesh Boote, Director of Recruitment at L'Oreal, has to say. The solutions that we've created are so specific to L'Oreal that it just feels like a team sitting outside of L'Oreal and working for us. If you sign up with Avature, it's for sure signing up with a company who, with whom you will be really able to design solutions the way you want and also embark on a, a, a journey with where innovation is at the core. Visit avature.net and discover why global leaders like L'Oreal Choose Avature to power their recruiting and talent management strategies.
1: There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement, and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history.
0: Hi everyone, this is Matt Alda. Welcome to episode 386 of the Recruiting Future podcast. As I say in pretty much every interview on this podcast, predicting the future accurately is impossible. However, identifying and tracking the trends that will shape the future is not just possible, it's essential for any kind of strategic approach to talent acquisition, It's very clear that we're at the start of a new phase in the evolution of recruiting, and understanding where we're heading has never been more critical. My guest this week is Kevin Wheeler, the founder of the Future of Talent Institute. I've known Kevin for well over a decade now, which is long enough to understand just how skilled he is at identifying the trends that matter, which makes this an absolute must-listen interview. Hi, Kevin, and welcome back to the podcast.
1: It's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for inviting me back.
0: Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Those people listening who may not have come across you and your work before, could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do?
1: Sure. I run the Future of Talent Institute, and what we try to do is look at the the trends, primarily focused on recruiting and learning and development. Uh, And kind of try to see where, where things are going. What, what are the trends? What are the likely changes that are going to occur over the next you know half decade or so? You know we, we don't have a crystal ball uh, or anything like that. We're really just looking at the trends out there and uh, our discussions with people, our observations about what's going on. So I spend most of my time looking ahead as much as I can. Uh, to see what's potentially going to happen out there and, and have an impact on what recruiters do and, and what people do in the, in the HR field fantastic stuff now
0: I've actually known you long enough now to know that a lot of the trends that you spot and the, the the sort of the predictions that you make or the suggestions that you make about the future tend to be pretty accurate some of the stuff that we were talking about 10 years ago that you were sort of saying was going to happen has has happened so I was sort of very keen to get you back on the show at this very very sort of strange time that we're that we're current we're currently in where it seems like the pandemic's over but it's not over as we sort of go in to the Northern Hemisphere winter. There's huge amounts of uh, changes going on in talent acquisition. Talent markets are are, are tough everywhere. It's a a very sort of disruptive, very disruptive time. And I thought it would be great to have a chat about the trends that you're seeing in talent acquisition and and really how is this going to play out in the medium term. So let me start by asking you about talent acquisition what do you think the the purpose of talent acquisition is moving forward and is it structured in the right way
1: yeah it's uh, it's a great it's a great question and uh you know i think that um the whole concept of talent acquisition has been to find people who can fit predefined categories of work uh that's kind of what we've done for the last 70 or 80 years or maybe 100 years And I think that's what's fundamentally changing. We're going to be looking for skills to solve problems that we have. It's really about problem solving. It's about dealing with the issues we have as as an organization. Uh, It's about how do we get something done. And it doesn't necessarily mean that one person is going to be uh, the entity that gets this whole thing done. It may be a variety of people that get it done. So from a talent acquisition perspective, it's really probably more skills acquisition that we're really looking at than, than people. It's what who are the people that have those skills, uh, and they could be uh, employed in a variety of ways. You know, It doesn't necessarily mean uh, a traditional permanent employee. So, you know, I think we have all these sort of assumptions that we just sort of base our life on, work on, and it makes life and work easier, uh, but they're all being challenged by the pandemic. And, and that's really uh, what's shaken us up and what's really, uh, you know, changing everything exponentially, really.
0: I think one of the interesting things is sort of throughout the last twelve to eighteen months, companies have been talking much more about internal mobility and how they can find skills within their organisation and move people around and upskill people and all those kind of things. But actually, when you sort of dig below the surface, that's something that that the employers really struggle to do, and I, I've struggled to find. Any great examples of employers doing that, doing that brilliantly? I mean, is that the same in terms of the the, the sort of the conversations that
1: you've been having? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think actually, uh, I'll push back a bit and say that I think it was done quite successfully earlier in the 20th century. And I think companies um, like uh, BP, uh, IBM, Philips, lots of the big companies, Unilever, they actually always practiced internal mobility and they tended to hire uh, fresh graduates from university uh, and hire only a handful of experienced people from outside and they had an internal development process where people moved through different jobs, could take on different roles, could switch from, uh, you know, being an engineer to being a manager to being a salesperson and so forth. So I think we had that earlier in the 20th century. Um, And we could have lost it somewhere in the 80s, I think, when we started to get rid of middle management and uh, the word was efficiency and boost our stock price and get rid of extra people. And, you know, unfortunately, those extra people that we were getting rid of were the ones that were learning on the job uh, of how to do the things that we needed to have done. So, you know, we kind of created our own mess in a way here, Um, but maybe fortuitously, Um, it's working out better in the end. Because now, rather than, you know, having these jobs that last for 20 or 30 years that are fundamentally the same, you know, jobs are changing every year, uh, even within a year. The skills needed, the jobs are changing, the requirements are changing. So, we need a lot more flexible process. And I think part of the gig workforce and this more flexible hiring models are helping us to do that
0: and how do you think talent acquisition needs to evolve to play a part in that process
1: well i i think that um we really need to talk a lot more about using the technologies that exist out there to help us do what we're doing to help us quickly identify the talent the skills that we need identify the people that have those skills and get them into the work that we've done as quickly as possible. But this is a big paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift for recruiters. It's maybe even a bigger paradigm shift for hiring managers who tend to have very traditional views about who they should hire and what their qualifications should be, and uh, they have a much more traditional view of this. So it's sort of a two, uh, uh, you know, two pronged approach here. One is recruiters, I think, need to be more agile. They need to de- leverage technology f- much better than they have. I think it's inevitable that most of recruiting will end up being automated in the near future. Uh, and hiring managers, in the same time, have to say that not everybody has to be a full time permanent employee. Not everybody is uh, got to have all the complete set of skills that uh, historically they ideally wanted them to have. Uh, so there's going to have to be a lot of give and take on the hiring manager side as to the kind of people they need, how long they need them, and what they need them to do. So we're going through really significant change, massive change in how we think about how organizations are structured and what they accomplish, how they accomplish it, uh, how many do we even need hiring managers per se? Um, so these are fundamental questions that will be addressed in the next few years. Uh, we're just at the earliest stages, uh, accelerated and pushed by the pandemic.
0: Absolutely. And there's, a, there's a, a couple of sort of points I want to pick up on there. The, the the first one is is around automation, which is something that you've spoken about before on the podcast. And I know you've kind of written about it Extensively. Talk us through what you think is going to happen in terms of automation in recruiting.
1: Well, I think, you know, if you really look at what's going on with artificial intelligence um, today, we're seeing exponential improvements in what it can do. And you know right now if you really take the recruiting process and and i've put diagrams in my newsletter many times and charts showing this that if we were to take the the step the basic building blocks of a recruitment process like branding sourcing and so forth every one of those steps can be either completely automated or heavily uh, augmented With technologies. So, you know, we can find people, we can screen and assess people, we can even communicate with people almost seamlessly and with very little human contact, all using chatbots and the automated tools that exist. Now, I know most recruiters that I talk to look at me and go, yeah, you're, you're full of it, Kevin, you know, bull. They can't do it. I've used these tools. They're horrible. They're simplistic. They, they, they promise everything and can't deliver. And, and that's always the case with technology, always. But the bottom line is it's getting better every day. And it's getting better. I mean, literally every day it's getting better. And these tools are improving, becoming more sophisticated. Uh, and it's just a matter of time before they will be able to do these things in a way that is indistinguishable from the way a recruiter would do it and, and better, more precise, more accurate than a recruiter would do it. So I think that recruiters have to you know, accept the fact that this is coming, understand that we're in a, a period when we're, we're, we have Model T software, all right? We don't have Corvettes yet. And we don't have jaguars, you know, we've got, we've got fairly uh, limited tools, but they're getting better so quickly that it's almost hard to unimagine Uh, things that um, robots couldn't uh, pack small things in boxes uh, effectively. Uh, And the story was that when Amazon was, they're still going to have to hire 100,000 people to pack the boxes. And just from the last month, they've come out with robots that are very good at packing boxes and putting things in small spaces. So, you know, the bottom line is I doubt if Amazon will ever hire those 100,000 people because they'll end up using these automated robots to do it. So, you know, we have to figure out how can we use the tools that currently exist, no matter how primitive they might be. How can we start to integrate these into our hiring process? How can we have a roadmap? to lay out this process. I wrote this article uh, just a few weeks ago, a two-part article on, um, I call it the six steps to a candidate-driven, uh, candidate-manager-driven process. Now, The whole point of this is that ultimately we're going to have a, a process, a tool, a set of tools that a manager can almost seamlessly use to find people and hire people without very little to any intervention by a recruiter. And, and that means that the recruiting function, as we've known it traditionally, is pretty much going to disappear uh, for the most part. I mean, there will be recruiters, but what they do will be very different than what they do today. It will be more, again, about advising, consulting, uh, partnering with uh, hiring managers, uh, and doing other things like managing some of this automation and software. But, you know, we're going to see this happen, and I think it's inevitable that it will come. Uh, it gets, it's coming to manufacturing, it's coming to financial services, it's coming to banks. I mean, everywhere it's being impacted. So, you know, we can't sit here as recruiters and say, oh, we're different than all these other organizations and all these other occupations. Um, we're just the same and we're going to be impacted in the same way.
0: On that point around technology everywhere, but technology and recruiting and HR is, is developing literally on a daily basis in terms of sophistication. I think even the, the most sort of visionary of, of, of commentators has been quite surprised by the sheer level of investment that's going into recruiting technology and how that's kind of really accelerated over the last year. Does that surprise you? And do you think that's something that's going to continue?
1: It uh, didn't surprise me at all. I, I like I say. I mean, it's inevitable. It's um, it's just uh, going to continue. It's going to it's going to continue to grow. Uh, it's going to become more and more uh, sophisticated. You know, we're we're in an exponential cycle, and you know, we have a really hard time as human beings dealing with anything that's exponential. Our life we live is linear. You know, we expect things are going to evolve. You know, in a systematic way over time, and you know suddenly in exponential world, things, you know, quadruple every hour. Uh, So, you know, when we're in this kind of space, it means that the technology isn't just going to incrementally get a little bit better next year. It's going to get a whole lot better next year. And it's going to get even more whole lot better beyond that. So it's, this is what's so hard to get your head around. I think for me, for everybody, it's hard. But when you look at, um, uh, you know, what a, what the little Microsoft paperclip did a few years ago, that little thing that popped up to kind of help you and <laughs> drive you crazy on your screen. I mean, that was an early chatbot. And you look at the chatbots today and how sophisticated and powerful they are. And and they're gonna even double and triple in that power in the next year or two. So, you know, it's all about computing power, it's all about the cost of computing, and it's all about the development of neural networks, which have completely changed um the game because computers learn by themselves now without being programmed or taught by people. Uh, and so, you know, when you look at recruiting somebody, the computer is soon going to learn exactly what a manager wants. They're going to look at what the company needs. It's going to be able to look at all the data that exists within a company around uh, strategic plans, needs, skills, skill gaps, et cetera, And it's going to be able to recommend to a hiring manager or even even maybe order the hiring manager to hire this person because this person has the requisite set of skills to, to solve a problem the company has. And the hiring manager might not even recognize or know that. So, you know, it really puts the whole role of the hiring manager in question as we move further into this as, you know, who's, who do we trust more the hiring manager or this, omniscient software that knows so much about our company and our organization because of its ability to analyze this huge amount of data that exists inside the company.
0: There are so many follow-up questions I want to ask you about that. There just isn't, there isn't time to, to fit them into this podcast. I'll just pick up on an earlier point that you were making about upskilling and you sort of mentioned skills again there. One of the, the big debates at the moment, is the well, really the, the the future of work, this this whole sense of remote working and hybrid working. I'm talking here for, for desk workers, people who can who can work remotely. And one of the, the big arguments that's, that's coming through from some of the more traditional forces, sort of particularly in the UK, is that people need to get back to the office because that's the only way that you can upskill and reskill people is by doing that face to face. And I know that you wrote a really interesting sort of piece on that this week, actually, or last week. And I just wanted, wanted to get your view on what does the future of upskilling and, and reskilling look like?
1: I mean, it, it clearly doesn't require you to be in the workplace. In fact, that's probably the worst place to be, uh, to do it. Uh, the, the, you need, I think there's several things. Number one is there's all sorts of tools and information and, and resources available to you via the internet and, and other and applications on your phone and whatever that can help you to learn new skills, practice new skills, uh, simulate new skills. Very soon we're going to have virtual reality that's going to be able to actually immerse you into doing something and let you practice it, Uh, just like you can practice flying an airplane and Microsoft uh, Simulator for flying. You're going to be able to do that for many jobs within an organization. Uh, So you're going to be able to train yourself how to do these things, learn the rules. And remember, as as you go along, we used to require people to know a lot of stuff, a lot of facts, a lot of data, a lot of formulas. They don't need to know that anymore because they can access them from the internet and from the software. So the software makes you smarter, gives you that stuff that you used to have to memorize and let you use your human skills of judgment, uh, decision making, negotiation and so forth to put these into into practice. So, you know, we've got a whole new paradigm emerging here. Rather than having to sit down and learn, you know, every formula for chemistry, uh, I just say to the computer, I want to put these three things together. What do you think? And the computer is going to say, well, you know, that's not going to work, or let's try this, or it's going to give you advice because it knows all about those formulas and all those equations and everything else involved in that. So it's about how do we use human creativity and innovation, to solve problems and let the computer act as our guru and our guide uh, around those more quantitative technical things that computers are really, really good at doing. Uh, And again, this is a paradigm shift. So learning and development upskilling is really, really, in some ways, it's about learning how to live with the computer, how to access computer intelligence more um, quicker and, and more accurately, and then how to apply that using human skills uh, effectively on the job. So, if you want to be a bookkeeper, you know, for example, or, or a financial, an uh, CFO, it's not whether you can balance a checkbook or you know whether you know accounting rules. The computer knows all the accounting rules. What you need to know is what do you want it to do? What do you want to? What do you want the end result to be? How can you make that happen? And you can get advice from the computer on how to make something happen. So, you know, it's it's using the more higher-level cognitive skills that we all have as humans uh, and let the computer provide those more basic, technical, fundamental uh, skills uh, that we often lack or have a hard time acquiring because it takes so much time to do that. So there's all sorts of things online to help you right now that, that augment you, make you smarter, smarter. Uh, I mean, just think of what you can do with the Internet now. If you want, you know, you can you have the world's knowledge at your fingertips, really. So it's really about how can you access that or how good are you at searching for that information? How good are you at figuring out which information is the best? So those are the things that humans have to focus on uh, and let the computer provide that bulk of data for you. Kind of rambling a bit here, but I hope you kind of... <laughs> Get the idea of what I'm talking about. The whole it's a whole new paradigm. It's not sitting in the classroom and memorizing formulas. It's about how do you apply the formulas that the computer is going to be able to deliver to you.
0: Absolutely. It kind of makes perfect sense and it is such a big topic. And I'm trying to get you to squeeze it into such a short <laughs> to such a short period of time. You mentioned when I was talking about the tech investment that that, that hadn't surprised you at all. What has surprised you in the last two years in terms of some of the things that have happened?
1: I I guess that the biggest surprise is just how quickly the technology is advancing. And again, it's even for me, understanding exponential growth is really hard. It's really hard for human beings to grasp that. Um, That how quickly things change uh, and how, how significantly they change in such a short period of time. And that, I think, is the fundamental quandary of, of the time right now. You know, the, the pandemic was an exponential change. It forced an entire world, 8 billion people, to shift what they were doing completely. Uh, rarely do you ever have anything like that happen. So that was just a massive push that everybody is staying home for some period of time and everybody in the world <laughs> pretty much has got to stay home for some period of time and do everything on a computer or online. That alone, just that one simple thing changes everything because now you've got all kinds of people that maybe didn't have very good computer skills or weren't comfortable with it or whatever. Now they, now they are. Now they can do that. So uh, you know, I think that's that, that That really is what surprised me, how quickly that happened, uh, how quickly the software is advancing, and how many people are resisting going back to work right now. I think these are the, even the economists are scratching their head about, you know, why don't people want to go back to work? Um, don't they need money? <laughs> you know, it's, it's this thing. So we're seeing lots of things change, you know, the quality of life, the way people look at work and life is changing um and it was driven by this pandemic which was obviously something that none of us predicted and uh, yeah and and totally changed the world and you couple that with the growth of software and you have something that we've never seen in the history of the world before
0: my final question when I'm doing these interviews, is to normally get someone to predict what they think is going to happen in three to five years' time. But but really, that's what we've been talking about for, for, the, for the whole of this interview. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a slightly different question about the future, which is, what could we expect to see in 2022? We're sort of recording this November 2021. What can we expect to see happen in, in a few months' time?
1: Yeah, well, I think I, I think you're going to see uh, the continuing uh, struggle uh, between companies and employees about whether or not and when and how often they go back to work in a physical location. That's going to be one of the ongoing um, questions that's going to dominate, I think, the next six months or so. Um, we're going to see... Uh, this whole idea of hybrid work where you work at home some of the time and the office some of the time probably become the dominant way that people end up working. But I would say even that is transitionary. And within f- three to five years, we'll probably all be working mostly remotely. But I think we need this sort of intermediate phase of hybrid to recalibrate ourselves and how we think. Uh, I think that you're going to see more and more automation in the selection of people, uh, in how we, how we screen them, how we communicate with them, how we make a decision about which ones to hire. I think we're going to see an increasing growth in the use of uh, the gig workforce. The contingent workforce is going to continue to be a major uh, discussion point for governments, for the legal profession for the HR profession uh, and for individuals that are looking for work. We're going to have a real struggle to work our way through this. And I don't think there's any magic here. We're just going to have to, you know, kind of muddle our way through how we decide, you know, who's, what What? what gig worker, who, who should be a gig worker, who should not be a gig worker, who should be a permanent worker. Should we even have any permanent workers? These are going to become... Um, significant questions in 2022. They already are now. Um, So I think we're going to see a lot of continuation into 2022, uh, particularly as more people and more countries become vaccinated and therefore theoretically could return to the old way of life, uh, quote unquote. Does anyone really want to go back to the old way of life? Um, And I think the answer is going to be no. We're going to come up with a new, and probably intermediary way of life that will continue to evolve into uh, a completely different, probably mostly remote way of working in the future.
0: Finally, we've mentioned your excellent newsletter a number of times. So finish off by just telling us where people can find you and where they can subscribe to your newsletter.
1: Sure, you can uh, subscribe to the newsletter just by going to News. F-O-T-N-E-W-S dot org, And if you go to that URL, you will see a link to a free subscription or a paid subscription, your choice, uh, for this newsletter, which I publish weekly. And you'll have access to all the archives of the last three years or so of all the articles that I've written, primarily around uh, recruitment and around uh, the future of recruiting and learning and development. Kevin.
0: Thank you very much for talking to me.
1: Thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure.
0: My thanks to Kevin Wheeler. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me.
1: This is my show.